Hello, and welcome to Right Care at Baptist. I'm your co-host, Dr. Jake Lancaster, here with Dr. Henry Sullivan, where we discuss the important clinical topics for the medical staff at Baptist. Today, we have Dr. Salil Gora and Paul Koris, who will be here talking to you about the use of convalescent plasma at Baptist. Thank you both for joining us today. Could you please introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about your affiliation with Baptist? Sure. Uh, this is Salil Gorha. I'm a physician. I'm a kind of a hematologist, oncologist. Uh, I work at mainly at Baptist Memphis. And due to my role in hematology, I'm, I'm serving as the principal investigator for the convalescent plasma trial at Baptist Memphis. Glad to have you. And, and Paul? Yeah, so my name is Paul Chorus. I am the Director of Clinical Research for the Baptist System. So I oversee research um, from the Memphis location, uh, NEA Baptist in Jonesboro, as well as Oxford and Jackson, Mississippi. Oversee all the studies that we have taking place except for oncology. So if it's, if it's uh, clinical research, multi-specialty, um, then I'm overseeing the sites and, as well as the staff in those areas to, to bring those important studies to, to all of our principal investigators and, and to our patients. Great, great. Thank you so much for joining us. Henry, can you kick us off and just tell us what you want to accomplish with the episode? Well, I think, Jake, thanks thanks so much. And Paul and, and Celia, I really appreciate you guys taking some time to be with us today. So, Paul, I, I know for so many of us that have removed ourselves from the research world over time, can you tell us, uh, tell me a little bit about the process that led to our enrollment in the convalescent plasma um, research project? And who who who, who holds the project, and then how did we become affiliated? And can you give me more details, please? Sure, sure, I'd love to. So um, this particular study that we're working on right now with the Combos and Plasma, the sponsor is actually uh, Mayo Clinical Lab, and uh, they, have, they offer this study uh, nationwide. And so we were one of the sites that, that joined in, in, into that study. Uh, they have sites all over the U.S. They have thousands of patients in, enrolled in the study. And uh, it was difficult in the beginning because the physicians, you know, with this being a brand new uh, virus and condition out there, little was known about it and not much to treat it with. And you know, so we were pretty much handicapped in trying to do anything with it because uh, yeah, we didn't have any treatments out there, so uh, they tried some remdesivir along with um, plasma, convalescent plasma, and uh, hydroxychloroquine. So um, you know, there's good and bad to everything, but they really liked the idea of the convalescent plasma because you're actually bringing uh, that plasma and uh, those products to the patient to help fight the infection. So. Baptist knew right, right very early on that it was an important project to, to get a hold of. We've uh, we've cranked that up, and uh, you know we've only been at this for about uh, two and a half months now, and uh, so very important. And during that two and a half months, we have over 180 patients enrolled in the study um, across our uh, system. Wow, that's a lot. I didn't realize we had 180 patients. Goodness. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of work. It's uh it's day and night, weekends and holidays. Uh, we I've got study coordinators at each location. I've got um, at least two, and sometimes as many as four, covering those those areas, and they work very closely with the physicians, uh, the investigators to to get all everything checked in the background, make sure everything's going on. The investigators, physicians are the ones overseeing the actual study at their site, and. Uh, 
the coordinators go in there, they do the consenting of the patients, they answer the questions, the physicians are doing the same thing, and then the physicians are ordering the product, the coordinators help, uh, help find and track the uh, product and, and, and get it uh, in-house so that it can be used. Nice. I know in just a moment we're going to ask Dr. Gura to comment about the, the clinical side of it, but is there, are there certain guidelines or rules within this study that, that deal with um, uh, allocation of the product and, and the time between administering uh, one dose versus the second uh, administering, or can you give me a little bit more details there, please, Paul? Sure, sure can. So yeah, so early on, the uh, Mayo Protocol just said that uh, they want us to give one to two units of convalescent plasma, and it had to be um, compatible plasma. And um, over the course of the study, like I said, we've only been in about two and a half months, and uh, we found out very, they found out very quickly that there was a couple things they needed to address within the protocol. So what they've done now is they initially made it where we had to give the two units um, within a 12-hour period. So you give the first one, had to start the second one within, within 12 hours. And, uh, you know, the, the investigative physicians weren't really comfortable with that. They didn't necessarily want to be held to that standard, and they could see some benefit to give to the patients maybe three or four days later. So we went ahead and we're, and we're doing that, and I'm sure it was happening across the, the, the study. And so Mayo adjusted their protocol to allow that to happen without any um, deviations or anything else needing to be re reported, because they could, they, they could tell that from the study they were looking at the material and the data Data, that was the important thing to be doing. So they made that change. And then very recently, like within the last 10 days, they've changed their protocol again. And this time, they've kind of slacked off a little bit on the compatibility. And so what was going on there is they were losing some patients to the study, or from the study, because um, the compatible plasma wasn't available. So we would take them out of the study, we'd, we'd take them to what we call an emergency IND. And so that patient would still get the plasma that we had access to that may not be compatible and was required by the Mayo study, and we could now give it in the emergency IND. So you know, Mayo realized what was taking place, that they were losing their patients out of the study because of this. So they changed the uh, protocol where they now allow for us to follow the site guidelines or procedures. So the physicians, the investigators look at that and they go, you know, we have this product, it's safe for the patient, and uh, we want to give it. And so now they, the patient can stay within the study and still get that, that same plasma. And like I said, it, was just, it just took um, Mayo backing up just, just, just a hair to allow, allow that to happen and not require the compatibility. Uh, Dr. Gohar can talk a lot more about the compatibility and, and the issues and what that looks like, but yeah, on paper um, there was an issue there, so they addressed it. Yeah, if you don't mind, I would love to, are we talking ABO compatibility or something different? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, this is uh, Dr. Salil Gorha. Um, the initial requirement for the Mayo Protocol was that the, the plasma and the um, recipient of the plasma had to be ABO compatible, and that was to avoid transfusion reaction. But the protocol, or the FDA, when they created this, uh, the guidelines for the, the, the administration of convalescent plasma highlighted the fact that only um, less than 400 cc's of plasma, 400 to 500 or less cc's of plasma would be given to the recipient at one time. And because of that restriction, the chance of a transfusion reaction is, is very low, even with incompatible 
plasma giving to a, a, a recipient. So, so that was always a source of uh, conflict or confusion when we were using the Mayo protocol, but uh, they did, uh, as Paul mentioned, they, they remedied, remedied that and, and they got rid of that restriction because the volumes that we're using are low enough not to cause uh, a major problem. Well, well, Celia, it's Henry, and then let me ask you a question then. So take us through, first off, define what convalescent plasma is for the audience, and then how do we obtain it, if you wouldn't mind? Sure. Uh, convalescent plasma is plasma or serum, which is part of the, the component of uh, people's blood that doesn't include the blood cells. And what plasma contains is antibodies. And in particular, when we um, use plasma from patients or people who've recovered from the, the covid infection, then it will contain antibodies that help that person fight the infection and clear it. And so what we're trying to do when we take plasma from a donor who, who suffered through the, through the infection is give the antibodies to another patient who is early in the course of the disease and, and, and could get very sick from it. And those antibodies in the plasma can fight the, uh, the, viral, the viral infection and help clear it to prevent uh, major damage to the, the person going through the, the infection. So you obtain it not unlike you would any other type of blood donation, and then you send that, that is correct. Well, I guess I'll start instead by saying now the, the plasma is widely available because so many people in the country, uh, in the U.S., have suffered the infection or been through the infection, and they're very, most, very a lot of people are willing to donate. So it, it has become widely available like other blood products. Um, initially, it wasn't widely available, and we had to, uh, Baptist in particular, had to recruit people that we knew had, had gone, gotten through the infection and ask them to donate and bring that plasma that they donated back to the hospital hospitalized patient. For the first, I would say, six weeks of, of using the plasma as a treatment, we, we were heavily recruiting people that we know had had the infection to, to, to donate the plasma. Now, um, there's so many donors available around the country that, that the plasma has become available in a way that we don't need to recruit donors to our particular hospital. Can you tell us a little bit about how you choose patients for treatment for this and when in the patient's course of the disease you would likely give them this? Yes, uh, so the decision on who would get the plasma is mainly determined by the FDA uh, guidelines for the use of the convalescent plasma. And um, the basic uh, guidelines state that the patient who's to get the plasma must, must have a confirmed, laboratory confirmed COVID-19 infection. And they also should have a severe or immediately life-threatening COVID-19 infection. And they define severe disease as having something as simple as shortness of breath or low oxygen levels. They can have, you can have more severe disease, such as being on the ventilator and, and still qualify for the, the plasma. Um, there are some, some trials that are coming out now that seem to show that the, the most benefit for the plasma administration to the patients is, is when it's given early in the disease course rather than later. Um, and, and that's true for a lot of different treatments that we use for viral infections. When you can clear the virus earlier, that prevents toxic effects of the virus on the body. And we do, you know, we're sort of governed by the FDA eligibility criteria for giving the plasma. But as we've gotten a better understanding of the disease and these treatments, uh, we've evolved to start using the plasma earlier in the disease course. That makes sense. So the idea being that early in the disease, the disease is being driven a lot by the virus and the viral load. and the later part of the disease is being driven a lot more by that inflammatory state. And so the antibodies, the neutralizing antibodies wouldn't be as useful in the, the latter part. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, so a question though, so along to Jake's point then, so you try to time this before the cytokine uh, release syndrome or that massive, that massive immunologic response by the virulent patient. And so that would be 
day three, four, five, six in the course of the illness, Salil? Yes. By the time patients are admitted to the hospital in the beginning, they are on oxygen and they are short of breath. So the way we, it sort of evolved is we would give it like maybe a week after they were in the hospital. But now that we've seen where the benefit is in, in earlier disease course, we're, we're sort of giving it on day one, two, three, actually. Because if they're in the hospital, most of those patients are already pretty significantly and severely ill. So yeah, so that's part of it's evolved. And, and as the disease turns into more of an inflammatory or uh, immune reaction, that, that's where the plasma may be less effective. And, and so we've sort of tried to get the disease inter this intervention earlier. And have you noticed any clinical difference since you kind of shifted forward in, in your timeline? Do you see patients just anecdotally getting better sooner versus when you're treating them later? It, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, there's so many factors that determine how patients are going to do. And, and probably the most important, one of the most important is their age, for example. And, you know, luckily the advantage of this being, this administration of plasma being part of this Mayo protocol is that they are getting data from thousands and thousands of patients. And, you know, even Mathis, even though we've treated so many patients, it's still hard to know, you know, how effective it is in the big picture because, there's so many other factors that may, that would determine that, you know, patient's course. But, you know, I think we are getting a sense over time that, that lots of the patients that we're treating are dying from this disease. And, and I think plasma is, is likely a component of, of that success. And I think only time will tell, you know, how we're doing and what the, what the intervention that truly made a difference. But I think uh, most people who are giving the plasma do believe it is effective. Yeah, very interesting. It, you know, there's always that question out there about these antibodies to COVID-19 and whether or not they're neutralizing and whether or not you've, you've had the virus. Is it protective from you getting future virus? It's convalescent plasma, and the theory behind it assumes that these are neutralizing antibodies and, and are effective in treating the, the disease, which I think is interesting. Yeah, the, 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 it's part of, uh, you know, the general category of treatment called passive immunity which is mainly antibodies. And, and so the, I think the future of this treatment, this type of treatment is better testing of the plasma products to see if they do actually contain these neutralizing antibodies. Because right now they are testing for antibodies, but they're not necessarily testing for the, the antibodies that are neutralizing, which means that they, they can um, destroy the, the virus and culture. Um, and then, then eventually I think what we'll see is uh, antibodies that are generated in a lab that are, are, are known to be neutralizing antibodies. Um, that will be given to patients and, 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 and healthcare workers, for example, who are at high risk. So it, it is part of this evolution of, of, of passive immunity therapy. Thank you so much. And I just see that Dr. Bill Cloud joined us just a little late, so I'm going to throw him in the hot seat. You know, we are recording a podcast that's going to go out to millions of people throughout the world. So welcome, Bill. Could you just, for the audience, tell us a little bit about yourself and what your role is with Baptist and how you're involved with Convalescent Plasma Program? My name is Bill Cloud, Chief Medical Officer of Baptist Memphis. My role here has, has really been to help um, support uh, whatever efforts uh, that the hospital has and the medical staff has around um, uh, combating COVID. And tell us a little bit about your role with the Convalescent Plasma Program. The Convalescent Plasma Program uh, really started uh, when I got an email from uh, Dr. Threlkeld, who's an infectious disease doctor, towards the end of March. And he had uh, been in communication with uh, some of the infectious disease experts he knew in the Northeast uh, who had uh, begun to talk about using convalescent 
uh, serum. And, and the, uh, the upshot of that was that he wanted to investigate whether we had the, the capabilities to do that here. Uh, what we did was kind of communicate with uh, Dr. DeBond, uh, Maggie or Margaret DeBond, uh, the research uh, coordinator for Baptist, and talk with Dr. Wright, who's a pulmonary specialist here, and Dr. Gorha, the stem cell specialist here, to try and put together an approach that, that we could actually use here at Baptist Memphis. So what happened with that is we actually were able to, to become a part of the Mayo Clinic uh, trial for convalescent plasma. And the thing I was really proud about is from the, from the first email I got from Dr. Threlkel to the time we infused the first patient was about 10 days. So it, it actually, it seemed like it was taking a lot longer because we had really sick patients on the vent who we really wanted to use this therapy on, but it actually was, was fairly efficient. Thank you, Bill, and great, because I really would like to hear from Paul about the research study and about when that is expected to close and what results we could expect from it when it does. Alrighty, so um, as for an actual uh, closing date, they have not set one, and they haven't even set a target number of patients to close. So there is nothing set like that. Uh, we will continue working the COVID-19 plasma study until the point they either close or we have patients. Um, but we're also looking at other COVID-19 studies that are out there. So we can bring additional options to the patients and the physicians, but there is no actual set date for opening or, or closing of, of the uh, convalescent plasma study. Good deal. So I'm an internist. If I had a patient that I wanted to put on convalescent plasma, what would be the process for me to do so? Do I just go into Epic and, and order it, or do I need to do anything special? Go ahead, Dr. Gohar. Okay. I think we both could answer this question equally well. Yeah, so thanks to the wonderful efforts of um, Epic uh, people, you, you can uh, just go into the, the order and, and put a consult for COVID-19 plasma. And uh, that triggers um, a cascade of events, basically triggering the research coordinators to consent the patient and also um, triggering me to, to follow up on any outstanding issues that may be involved, such as the patient needing uh, their, their blood typing checked. So that, that's a very smooth process. It's, it's made it very easy for people in the hospital, doctors in the hospital or practitioners in the hospital to order the plasma. And a follow-up question to that, once I have a patient that's getting it, any special reactions that I need to look for, or would I just look for the same transfusion reactions that I would look for when I'm giving just normal FFP? It's pretty normal. Um, this is part of the investigation of the trials. So they did, you know, the Mayo Clinic did publish in a, a preliminary analysis of about 6,000 patients who had gotten the product. And, and, and based on that, they, the summary of that was that it was very safe to give. Um, I think the, the things that we, that we would be on to look at with other blood products, such as lung injury, something called transfusion-associated lung injury are, are, are possible with plasma or any blood transfusion. Um, you can also see, um, just by giving a volume of a plasma, the, the patient's uh, circulatory system overloaded, and so that, that's a possibility. There is something that's sort of uniquely possible with plasma from, <clears throat> that contains the antibody to the, the virus that it can, can trigger an immune reaction. So that's something that we're watching for carefully. And so in, in the short term, it could potentially worsen the inflammatory or immune reaction uh, of, uh, in a patient that's suffering through the virus, although that doesn't 
at least in the initial analysis of the data, that hasn't seemed to be an issue or a problem. That's good to know. So you would be watching for triggering something like the cytokine storm that we're hearing about? Right. Yeah, and I think with, with, with COVID-19, what we're learning is, is the, the main side of this inflammatory reaction, reaction is in the lung. So, you know, we, we would look for uh, changes or problems with the patient's respiratory status. Good deal. Henry, any comments on that you want to ask? So can you take me through some of the outcome data that you've seen thus far? Is anything in the literature that we that we need to share with those people listening? Yeah, so there, there's a there's a trial in, in the Journal of the American Medical Association looking at, at convalescent plasma. Uh, one of the issues with the trial is I think it was conducted in China and it was sort of conducted at the tail end of their initial epidemic and there, it, therefore it, they did not have a lot of patients that they could enroll in the trial. So um, it closed earlier than the, the investigators of the trial had, had intended. Uh, but with that limited data, they were able to see clinical improvement in, in the patients who received the plasma versus the patients who did not receive the plasma. And they saw it, uh, what they would call a trend towards improvement in the, in the survival or the mortality of the patients who got the plasma. So I think that was encouraging. And, and, and it, what it looked like was the benefit of the, the, the most benefit or the, the benefit was mainly seen in patients who were given the plasma earlier in the disease course. Uh, I think I saw another trial looking that wasn't uh, what we call a prospective trial, it was retrospective, so looking backward at a set of patients in, from New York at Mount Sinai Hospital, and, and they looked at patients who got plasma and compared them to patients who didn't get plasma uh, retrospectively, uh, and they saw an improvement, same, same sort of thing, they saw an improvement in the patients who got in the mortality of the patients who got the plasma, and it seemed to be mainly occurring in patients who got it treated with the plasma earlier in their disease course. Yeah, and what they say, the severe severe disease group and not the life-threatening disease group is... Uh, right, exactly, right. Yeah, that is very interesting, and it definitely makes sense. And I think I also saw that the, the viral loads were decreasing, you know, after giving the plasma, which was a good sign as well. So I know we're running towards the tail end of this episode, but Bill, can you give us just your vision for the future direction for convalescent plasma at Memphis or Ursuliel? If either one of you want to jump in and chime in of what you think is going to happen in the future for this? Yes, Salil, I'll let you take that. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, I think it, this is a great first step in understanding how we can treat this uh, disease that, that we barely understand at the moment in general. Um, so I think convalescent plasma is something that has been used for almost 100 years in the treatment of infectious diseases and specifically viral diseases. And, and so we have a lot of experience with it and we do believe it's beneficial. I think Baptist, we're trying to keep on the cutting edge of, of treatments for COVID-19. So we're always looking for new way, new and effective ways to treat it. And, and also as part of that, participating in, in clinical trials to understand how to best treat patients with this, with this life-threatening disease. And so um, the convalescent plasma has been a great opportunity to get into that treatment and, and staying on the cutting edge and staying into the, the sort of clinical research um, aspect of our management of this disease. Question for you. Um, is, there any, um, is there any chance that the convalescent plasma may lead to hyperimmune globulin treatment? Yeah, that's, I think so. I think that would be the next phase of this, uh, which is, identifying what part of the plasma and what part of the antibodies are in the plasma are most effective at treating the infection and then getting it out from the plasma either through filtering it out or through um, generating it in a lab 
and then we can directly deliver that those antibodies to the patients rather than uh, giving them this blood product. Um, that that's a something that's probably easier said than done, especially because of how widespread this infection is. You know, to get it to every hospital, it, it's going to be difficult. But with the plasma, it, it it's relatively easy uh, because of the infrastructure we have for blood product distribution already. But yeah, exactly. The the immune globulin or the antibodies that we're used or think are effective in the plasma are something that we're going to be studying very closely. Fascinating. All right. All right. So as we've been talking, I've kind of got the website and looked at the numbers. So just to, you know, this is a very large study. There are about uh, 2,500 sites participating right now, about 8,500 physicians. They've dosed around uh, 31,541 patients. Um, and uh, so, um, I'm sorry, they've had 31,541 patients in it. Of those, 22,655 have actually been dosed. So it's a very large study, and I was looking at our numbers right here, and Baptist just enrolled their 190th patient. So we're at 190 patients. We're adding eight to 10 patients a day to this study. So tomorrow, the next day, uh, we'll, we'll be over uh, 200 patients. Henry, do you have any closing comments or any takeaways you want to leave with the audience? No, I really, I really appreciate you, you uh, folks, getting on this uh, this uh, podcast with us and, and helping to share this information on the use of convalescent plasma. I appreciate your time. Salil, thank you so much for for being on the show. Could you just give us a couple of takeaways about convalescent plasma that you'd like the audience to go home with? Uh, sure. Um, I think it's important to remember that convalescent plasma has been used for almost 100 years um, in the treatment of patients with infectious diseases, such as rabies, hepatitis, polio, measles, influenza. Um, and so we have a lot of experience as a medical community with the use in, of convalescent plasma and treatment of viral infections. Um, it's a very widely available treatment to hospitals that already use blood products or have access to blood products. And, and it, that, therefore, it's, it's a, it can be very effective at, at treating a, a large population of patients with this infection. Uh, so it, it's been a learning experience uh, dealing with this virus, but we feel like we're making progress and, and convalescent plasma is, is one way that we're getting there, making progress and understanding and treating the disease effectively. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot from this podcast and Thank all of the listeners out there for taking the time to listen to Right Care Baptist. Remember that you can earn CME credit by following the link in the show notes and filling out the brief survey. Thank you so much.